Father, we are standing here because you made a way. Father, you have been faithful. You alone have made a way. Father, you've made a way for us just like you made a way for Noah. Father, you made a way for us just like you made a way for Abraham. You made a way for Isaac. You made a way for Jacob. Father, we're standing here because you made a way for us just like you made a way for Joseph just like you made a way for Moses, just like you made a way for Joshua. Father, just like you made a way for Deborah, you made a way for Samson. Father, you, you made a way for King David. You made a way for Solomon. You made a way For Daniel, you made a way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Father, you, you made a way for Esther. You made a way for Ruth. You made a way for Ezra. And Father, we are standing here today only because you have made a way. Father, we come this morning not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, not in our own power, not in our own might, but Father, we come standing by your mercy and your grace alone. Father, the fact that we are standing here is a testament and a testimony that your grace is sufficient. Had, not, had it not been for you, on our side, pouring out abundant mercy and grace, oh, where would we be? So, Father, as we come this morning to worship you, may we worship you in spirit and in truth because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, please forgive us for our sins and our trespasses against you and against one another, that we may enter into this atmosphere of worship freely and liberated from all that entangles us. Father, please give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to receive what you have said in your word. Father, I thank you for these saints, Lord, these walking miracles, these walking memorials to your glory. And Father, even now I ask that you would continue to place your loving arms around and your hedge of protection about your people. Please keep us from sickness and disease and hurt, harm, and danger, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, this morning, may we come 
ready to give our all unto you. Father, we surrender. and We ask that you would have your way in this place. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, indeed, it is an extraordinary privilege and honor to be with you once again, Forrest, and I'd like to welcome you and all those who are with us via our live stream to this church gathered at Forrest Baptist. And let me just start by uh, saying, I, 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 actually, I really don't have the words to express uh, the depth of my gratitude to each and every one of you for the celebration of our uh, anniversary. Um, I, I just, I, I thank the Lord so much for this uh, marriage he has brought forth and uh, the fruit that it has borne already. Uh, so first and foremost, we, we just want to thank God that he has brought us together. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for the, for the building up of the body of Christ. So he put us together that we will grow together. And then as we grow, grow together, we would show off the glory of Christ within this world. So we thank the Lord for what he has done, and I specifically want to thank you for us for your love. And what I appreciate is you, you just don't wait for one day a year to show us love. But you show us love 365. You have shown us love not only 365, but you have shown us love since 2010. You know how they say? Uh, we've been down since day one. The Lord has put us together, so I'm grateful to you. Uh, but I also want to say thank you to the anniversary committee. Let me tell you, this group was so secretive, I don't even know who was on the committee. So I just want to pause to say thank you to the anniversary committee. And if you were on the anniversary committee, just stand up or raise your hand. And I, I just wanted to say thank you to you and allow us to express our appreciation for how you put everything together last week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Amen. Uh, and just a reminder, as we have posted this week, as we continue in worship, um, we see the the COVID positivity rate jumped from like two, then went to four, then it's like 12 uh, this week. So uh, in order uh, to make sure we care for you well out of an, an abundance of caution, we uh, have uh, re-implemented our mask mandate here during worship. So uh, as you are here during worship, please uh, uh, re uh, keep your mask on as you are here. Uh, also, take advantage of the, the, the testing and the vaccines and everything that you can, but uh, let's continue to be wise. Amen? Well, let's get into it this morning. Please turn with me to Matthew, the 21st chapter. Matthew, the 21st chapter. And uh, as you do, consider with me, this, this week uh, was a really good week, and I had the opportunity to fly out to Washington, D.C. to uh, meet with some other pastors from around the country, um, and when we all got together, we was able to um, have a presentation by this ministry that is working to uh, gather pastors and congregations to come together and to take trips to Washington, D.C. to um, 
to, to not only see the sites, but at the center of that trip would be the Museum of the Bible. And, uh, and seeing how influential God's Word has been historically and how God's Word permeates the, cu permeates the culture in ways that uh, we may not have even noticed. So uh, as we were uh, gathering together, we was taking our tour and I'm, I'm, can I, I'm going to be honest, you know, when they was talking about the Museum of the Bible, you know how, you know, I mean, sometimes Christians just do things cheesy, you know. And it, it, I was like, man, I hope this ain't just not cheesy. But it, it absolutely was the opposite. It was so well done at the Museum of the Bible. Um, it, uh, rich uh, uh, displays and great information. And it's like six floors, and then on every, every single floor, we have, uh, they have a, like a different theme. We have a different theme. We have, uh, they go through the history, they go through the text, they go through you know, all these different things uh, on every single floor. So we're walking through these floors and then on one floor we get to the, uh, uh, the, the information and history of like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was this, this, this incredible discovery of ancient biblical texts in this area called Qumran, uh, a shepherd boy was out watching, watching his flocks, and one of the sheep went into a cave, so he picks up a rock. You know, he throws it to try to get the, the sheep to come out, and as he throws it, he hears this crack. Like, what was that crack? And he goes in, and all these, these vessels were filled with, with ancient writings, and in those ancient writings was so much of the scriptures, and from those Dead Sea Scrolls, we can confirm that what we have been using all these years are just fully accurate. So the Word of God is true. It hasn't been changed by man over the centuries, but, but as we were looking at these Dead Sea Scrolls and encouraged by this testimony, he showed us one area that had these scrolls laid out, but then right there is these little bitty fragments, and it said on the fragments that this is a forgery. And he told us about the story that when they were purchasing some of the material for the collection, that they went to one seller who had these pieces, and they were able, under the naked eye, to kind of examine it, and it, it really looked authentic. It looked like the real thing. So they purchased it, brought it back, and they began to put it on display. But uh, as they do with all of their other items, from time to time, experts come in, and they put it under the microscope, and they look real detailed at what they have in front of them. And what they found was that this piece, although it looked authentic by the naked eye, under much scrutiny and examination, it was found to be a forgery. It was found to be a fake. So what they did, instead of trying to claim that this was actually part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they left it for display, but it is clearly marked that this is a forgery. So when people came around to see this exhibit, they would, there would be no question that, that this, this specific item is a forgery because we don't want to fool you into thinking something wrong about this piece of antiquities. Beloved, this got me thinking. Upon closer inspection of my own life, what would be said about me? 
As I examine my own life and my own walk with Jesus and my own profession of faith and my, my own uh, uh, considerations and all that I, I, I think I am, uh, upon closer inspection, I'm not talking about just the glance of the eye, but if you was to put my life under the microscope of heaven, what would be found in me? Would my faith be found to be a forgery or would it be found to be deeply faithful? Christians, upon closer inspection, what would be said about those who claim to be Christians? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter and the 5th verse, to examine yourselves to make sure that you are in the faith. Paul is saying, invite examination upon your life to make sure that you're saved. To make sure, to make, to make sure, sure, like for real, uh, uh, that you are certain without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to close your eyes right now in the next moment that when you saw Jesus face to face and, 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 and the books are open to whether you should enter into the kingdom, that you know beyond of a shadow of a doubt that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul is saying, don't just uh, base your faith upon what other people may say or what they may think, but do you really know the Lord? Under the microscope of heaven, would your faith be found to be a forgery, a fake, or would it be found to be deeply faithful? And beloved, I, I don't bring this up as a, a, any form of attack, but we must consider if, if the Holy Spirit has wrought about a complete change with us or are we just cultural Christians? Because this matters both to the culture, both culturally and eternally. Culturally, it matters in the sense that if we have a bunch of for, for, uh, forged Christians, a bunch of forgeries walking around, and people are trying to see Jesus through these fake Christians, they will never see his glory because they don't represent the king for real. And then when people look at our lives and they see how we act and they say, but you say your God has power to change. But you say it's your power, your God has power to break strongholds. But, but you say your God has power to break yokes. And, 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 but your God, you say your God has the power to give you the victory. But you're not living in victory and you're, you're bound up in fetters and chains. And uh, well, what is this about your God to be true then? And then in the culture, people are, they, they need hope and they need a deliverer. But if we're walking around as forgeries, how can we ever point them to Jesus? But not only is that impactful culturally, that's impactful eternally. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and when you and I stand before the judgment seat of God, will he say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me, for I never knew you? Beloved, this is not a game. This is not a joke. Jesus is not a hobby or a habit. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above all. For all things are from him, through him, and to him. He is the king of the universe whom we must 
consider seriously and we must consider our lives. So upon further examination of your own faith, what will be revealed about you? Here in Matthew, the 21st chapter, Jesus gives us a glimpse of how one's faith is measured by whether it is fake or whether it is deeply faithful. Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. And the word of God reads, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And Lord, a blessing to the reading of this word. Our tag upon this morning text is simply the fruitfulness of faith. The fruitfulness of faith. At this time in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem for the, his final Passover. This is the Passion Week, and as Jesus arrives, he arrives to the triumphal entry where Jesus is on the donkey and everyone is, is shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're welcoming Jesus into the city. But it, it is that particular moment where the Pharisees and, and those, who, those religious individuals began to push back on Jesus' authority. So from here through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, there are these challenges against Jesus' authority. But what Jesus is doing in this text right here, as they seek to challenge his authority, Jesus lifts up another enacted parable. An enacted parable is simply a real-life example of, 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 of Jesus' uh, uh, heavenly uh, kingdom and purposes put on display. So he, he, this enacted parable, and this parable is pointing straight to the spiritual condition of Israel. And the question is, is Israel the real deal or not? I thought this morning is real faith in Jesus will produce real fruitfulness in life. Real faith in Jesus will produce real faithfulness in life. This is what Jesus is flushing out, and this is what Jesus is getting at as he curses this tree. What, what I believe Jesus wants to show us in verses 18 through 19 is simply a fruitless life is marked by a faithless life. A fruitless life is marked by a faithless 
life. Look at what happens. Because in verse 18, the text says that Jesus, he is coming in the morning. So after Jesus enters the city the first time and he cleanses the temple, he leaves out and he goes and chills at Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house before he comes back. So uh, as he's coming back in the morning, the text says he sees this fig tree and the fig tree is beautiful. It, it has all these leaves on it. It's probably uh, has some girth, has some weight to it, and it's showing uh, uh, that, that, that your hunger can be satisfied here. And Jesus walks over to the fig tree, but at, upon closer inspection, he sees that there are no figs on the tree. There are, there's no fruit on the tree for him to partake of, for him to satisfy his, his hunger. And, 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 and what the text says is that upon finding that Jesus says, may no fruit ever come from you again, and the tree withers at once. I'm like, dang, Jesus, you just destroying trees and causing them to wither. Beloved, what's happening here is, is pretty significant. See, the, this fig tree that was supposed to be bearing fruit, that was eventually supposed to bear fruit, had no fruit. And biblically speaking, in the scriptures, whenever you talk about fruit, we're talking about not, not the stuff you get off of a tree, but you're talking about the, the, the manifested works that comes from a heart that loves Jesus. So because I have been saved by grace, because I have been redeemed, because I have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, what I do and how I talk and how it impacts others is going to look a certain way. This is where we think about in Galatians 5, uh, 22, the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That, that, that particular character and lifestyle is demonstrate, it demonstrates a life that has been changed by Jesus. That is what fruit is. So this is why Jesus is pointing to the fig tree. It is not bearing fruit. Now the fig tree has national and historical uh, significance in Scripture regarding God's blessing towards Israel. So all throughout the, uh, the Old Testament, you see different times where, where uh, God is talking to them and talking about their fruitfulness and there will be figs on a tree. He's, he's talking about how, how God is, is blessing them and, and the provision that he has. It's the same thing that happens in Numbers 13 when the spies go over to Canaan and uh, they say, go over and see if the land really has fruit and see who's there. And when they come back, before they give the bad report, they say, it is what you say it is. It's full of fruit. And they brought back some fruit and they brought back some figs to demonstrate that the land was just as God had promised. We could preach on that, just, but I'm, I'm going to leave that there, talking about the, the, the promises of God and how they come to bear. If, if, if God says there's some fruit on the other side, when you get there, there's going to be some fruit. Matter of fact, not only will there be some fruit on the other side, I believe that Jesus will have a full-course meal setting for his people just, just, to, just to make sure his promises are recognized, but I'm not going to go there today. But this fig tree has important 
historic symbolism in scripture also regarding Israel's faithfulness. Because whenever Israel is described as being unfaithful, it talks about the lack of fruit on the trees and the lack of figs. And it's interesting because even here at Passover time, this would be like between March and April, fig trees near the Mount of Olives, they're just beginning to come into leaf. And as a matter of fact, in Mark, the 11th chapter, the 13th verse in the parallel passage, uh, Mark's gospel reports that uh, Jesus had came and he, see, he didn't see anything. It says he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. So Jesus is coming to this tree and actually it's, it's not the season for figs. So you're like, well, Jesus, if it ain't the season for figs, why are you mad? You just can't plant some tomatoes and when they don't come up, like when they're supposed to, just, just dig up your whole garden. No, but this tree had put on a display as if it had figs. The, the, the leaves and the foliage were so rich and so thick, it had the appearance that it was bearing fruit even beforehand, even before time. And, and, and what is happening in the text is this fig tree had the appearance of fruit but was found to be lacking. This fig tree offered promise without fulfillment. Oh, beloved, how often are we caught in situations where we want to act a certain way so people will give us the glory, but upon closer inspection of our lives, we weak and weary just like everybody else. We put on as if we got everything under the control. We're blessed and highly favored. But if you just looked at, if you opened my door to my home, you would see how broken I really am. We get on a job and act like don't nothing bother us. But on the inside, we like, Lord, I can't make, I can barely make it out the bed. Each and I can barely roll up to my job. I can barely walk into the classroom. But on the outside, for everyone else to inspect, we try to make it look like we just got leaves overflowing. Just like Israel, we like to put on our best face to make it look like we actually have something to offer. See, but what's so dangerous is that this entire parable is pointing to the present spiritual condition of Israel in that day. Think about it. Here, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem during their peak religious season, right? The, this, is pa this, is, this is the Passover, and, and Jews from all over would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate when, Jesus, when, when God delivered the Israelites from Exodus by passing over their homes that had the blood on the doorways and, and, and killing the firstborn of everyone who did not have blood covering their doorways. And God, all throughout the Old Testament, it says, Remember the Passover, remember the Passover. So for them, they're like, yep, we're going to remember the Passover. But what was taking place in the midst of all of this religious activity, it was just that, religious activity. It was, it was, it was the big day for them to show up in church in their sharpest. 
They went out to Kohl's the day before and got some new shoes, and they got the new suit. They got the brand-new ties. They, they ain't never wore cufflinks in their life. Got some cufflinks and got their hats and fascinators, and they're they ready to walk up in Jerusalem and they, and they Sabbath's best in order to show off that they were part of the, the people of Israel. But God is saying, I don't want your religious activity. I want your heart. All of their sacrifices, all of their prayers, all of their uh, listening to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all of it was nothing but religious activity. They were so busy for the Lord without even knowing him. Beloved, my prayer is that we would never become a people that's so busy for the Lord but don't really even know him. It's so easy to get caught up in what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord uh, 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 instead of what you would love to do for the Lord. Like all of our devotion to the Lord should come out of not what you're supposed to do. It's just because I want to. And when you are, are, are living out of a love and desire for Jesus, it is not just religious activity. It is devotion. And what Jesus is pointing out with the fig tree is that the nation of Israel should have been bearing fruit, yet they are spiritually barren. They are not fulfilling their purpose. Israel was established, uh, this covenant with Abraham, that this nation would be a blessing to every other nation. That because they were different, because they were set apart, people would look upon them and say, why are they so different? And they would say, because we serve Yahweh. We serve Elohim. We serve El Shaddai. We serve Jehovah Rapha. We so serve Jehovah Nisi. We serve Jehovah Sabaoth. We serve Je uh, Jehovah in the heavens. He is the only God. Not those false gods that have no power, but the, the God who was able to open the Red Sea. The God who's able to take us through the wilderness and our shoes ain't fall off. The God who's able to keep us from uh, in the midst of our enemies and allow us to walk through the highways and the byways. The, the God who had a promised land waiting for us on the other side. The type of God that, that wages war on your behalf where you ain't got to fight nobody fist to fist. You just raise your hand and praise and, and the walls will fall down. They were supposed to be pointing to that God. But they had gotten so self-centered that their religious activity was only a basis for their glory. And what does Jesus say about that kind of condition? May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Jesus demonstrates the seriousness of Israel's condition. Because in, in, in declaring no fruit would ever come from you again, Jesus is declaring judgment not only on the tree but on all of Israel. In Luke, the 13th chapter, you don't have to turn. I just want to read this quickly. Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 6 through 9, you can notate it. This is another parable that Jesus says, and again, it's about a fig tree. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, 
let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it now. Jesus is declaring that at some point, you can't keep faking it to make it, but at some point, your fruit needs to show up or you ain't needed. What, what Jesus is saying is we got to stop showing up to Bible study, showing up to church, and ain't nothing changing in our lives year after year after year, day after day after day, and, and there's no fruit in our lives. Jesus says at some point, I'm just going to cut you off. And beloved, we don't know when. This is why the scripture says today is the day of salvation. And ultimately, we do see the fall of Israel in AD 70 where Rome comes in and they sack the temple and destroy all remnants of Israelite way of life. What Jesus is saying in these verses is simply spiritual fruitlessness in the life of a Christian is a sign of faithlessness to Christ. Beloved, if you are looking over your life and you're not seeing evidences of grace, evidences that the Lord has been working in you and for you for his glory, if Colossians 5, Colossians 3, 5 through 15 puts it this way, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all though these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What, what, what Jesus is saying, if your life is not bearing out that love, patience, forgiveness, if, if, your love, if your life is not demonstrating that on a regular basis, then you are in spiritual barrenness. barrenness. And spiritual barrenness has both temporal and eternal consequences. Beloved, what fruit are you bearing? Jesus is saying a fruitless life is marked by a faithless life, but he's also saying a faithful life is marked by an impossible life. In verses 20 through 22, uh, Jesus uh, has, uh, the, the, the fig tree is withered in the parallel passage in the gospel of Mark. This actually is a two-day thing. 
Jesus curses the fig as he's walking in, and then the next day, just immediately, the whole tree is dead. Matthew just puts it all together, but after this happens, the disciples are amazed at the power of, of Jesus. And as they are amazed at the power of Jesus, they ask the question that we, we want to ask Jesus about all the time. How'd you do that? How did the fig tree wither at once? How did you do that, Jesus? And Jesus simply says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 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 The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith. faith to to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust to believe in to have confidence in to have faith in Jesus is not talking about a faith in faith this is not well you just got to keep the faith oh you 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 got to have faith this is a deep Trust, believing, and abiding in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. The, your, your faith is only as good as the object your faith is pointed towards. You can have faith in man all you want. You can have faith in your husband. You can have faith in your wife. You can have faith in your children. And you can have faith in your teachers, your boss. But you already know you can have faith in people, but people will always fail you. But David gives us another story because David says, I've been young and I've been old and I never seen God's people forsaken. He said, if your faith is in God, God don't fail. So if you're going to build your hope on anything, don't build it on nothing less than Jesus Christ. And on that solid rock, stand on him and him alone because he is the only thing that is faithful and eternal so this is not a faith and faith but this isn't a faith that I can believe God and I can believe in his promises if God says I can I will and God says to go I can and because God has said I am able this is the kind of faith so Jesus is saying when you fully believe fully trust have confidence in me my word, my kingdom, your prayers will accomplish the seemingly impossible. That what you thought couldn't happen. It will happen. This is what Jesus is talking about this mountain. I remember being young and I was reading this. I was like, what? I can make a whole mountain move? Jesus is using this metaphor of a mountain, of, of, of something impossible. A mountain being Tipped off, I'm, uh, uh, commenters, uh, commentators believe this is Mount Olives that would have been right there. So, so he's pointing out at the Mount of Olives, and it's your prayers will be able to take something like that mountain and make it fall into the sea. To do the impossible, that's what Jesus is saying. 
This is the effect of fervent prayer of the righteous shall accomplish much. And what Jesus does here, he connects prayer with, with all of these aspects of belief. So Jesus is saying, those who, who belong to me will, will be a people of prayer. And Jesus connects faithfulness and prayer. Your ability to remain steadfast, the, your ability to, to press on and, and to go deep in the, the things of God is, is connected to prayer. I can't go deep in Jesus if I don't spend time on my knees. Then Jesus connects fruitfulness and prayer. I, I can't bear much fruit unless he is sustaining me through his sustenance, coming through my, coming through my roots and, and helping me to bear fruit. The only way that, that we can bear fruit is if the Holy Spirit is working in us. So he's connecting fruitfulness and prayer. Jesus connects power and prayer. Uh, the, the, the prayers of those who belong to him in faith have much power. And Jesus connects obedience and prayer. Because Jesus is just assuming when you pray. He says that in uh, Matthew 6, when you pray, not if you pray. When you pray. When you come up against opposition, when, when you wake up in the morning and you're about to start your day, you need to come to me for your sustenance. You better stop fighting those battles on your own. You need to come to me out of obedience, knowing that I'm fully dependent upon you. So, so Jesus is connecting prayer and all of that, and really the application is simply show me a life lacking prayer, and I will show you a life lacking faithfulness, fruitfulness, power, obedience, and defeated by the impossibilities of life. You want to see somebody who's defeated? I'll show you somebody who doesn't pray. Because the one who is defeated is not taking all of their cares to Jesus. Because he says, cast your cares upon me. Because I'm faithful. Show me a life overflowing in prayer. And I will show you a life full of faithfulness, fruitfulness, power, obedience, victorious in the face of the impossibilities of life. Victorious because of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, I, this, this man is impossible. This woman is impossible. Lord, I don't know what to do, but you know what to do. Please help me. Oh, Father, these children are working on my last, last, last nerve, and they're, they're, they're not obedient. They're, they're not uh, doing what I'm, I'm trying to train them to do. Lord, help step in and do the impossible. Father, you know I need a job. I, I'm, I'm not able to take care of what I need to take care of. Father, please step in and do the impossible. Oh, I heard a word of testimony from an individual just the other day. They said, you know what? Let me tell you how, how God opens doors. Let me tell you how, uh, how powerful God is. I, I, done, I, done, I done fooled around and got this new job and, and, and the person who was in it before me had a degree, and I ain't got a degree to nobody. God is able to put you in places that's impossible just because of his favor, his mercy, his grace, and his power. 
It's not up to us what doors are open or what doors is closed. God says, I will make the impossible possible. He says, you move mountain. Get out of my way because I'm trying to pursue Jesus. As we are even considering this text this morning, I so add so, so many other things I, I wanted to go to, but for the sake of time, let me pose this question. Even as we consider a, how a, a fruitless life is marked by a faithless life and a fruitful life is marked by an impossible life, the question uh, for your consideration this moment this morning is simply, are you seeking Jesus or are you seeking outcomes? Are you praying just for outcomes to change or are you praying that Jesus will begin to produce more fruit in your life? Because isn't this what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew, the sixth chapter and the 33rd verse? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things I will add unto you. He's saying, get your priorities in order. The outcomes come when you are pursuing me. Don't worry about everything else. Just worry about following me. Worry about chasing me. Worry about being obedient to me. Beloved, John 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When Jesus is saying, ask whatever, in faith, and you will receive it. He's primarily talking about a life that is the opposite of Israel. Not a fruitless life, but a fruitful life for him. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith in the good news of what Jesus has done and accomplished on our behalf produces the fruit in life that he wants us to bear. Are you connected to the vine? The only way that we can be connected to the vine, who is Jesus Christ, is when we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the only one who can sustain me and give me grace and strength. And that is only through him that I can abide and commune with the Father who is in heaven. And we confess our sins and we trust in him for salvation. Beloved, are you connected to the vine? Because if you're connected to the vine, you will bear much fruit. Real faith in Jesus will produce real fruitfulness in life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for being so glorious, so faithful, and so kind. And for the fact that you want us to bear fruit. You want us to be witnesses for you in this world, but the only way we can do that is if we surrender 
to you. Father, please forgive us for our moments of faithlessness. And I pray that we would abide in Christ, that we would be fruitful. But Father, I pray for the one right now that has not experienced transformation by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will sow seeds of righteousness into their heart today, for this is your will. And that it will bear much fruit, fivefold, tenfold, one hundredfold, because of who you are. We thank you, King Jesus, for your glory and namesake we pray. Amen.